Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing, we just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. Welcome to Morning Walk with the Artist Forge. My name is Nicole York. I am your host. And today we are talking about business, the business of art. Of course, we have covered a lot of ground so far. And today we're going to be talking about how do we figure out what we're selling? And this includes several things, not only the true nature of what people are buying from us, the psychological, emotional needs that we're filling, but the actual product itself, the physical product. How do we figure out what we're going to sell? Are we even going to sell physical products or are we going to sell digital products and services? There's a lot of things to figure out when we try to think about building a business and how we are going to service people, how we are going to serve them. And the first thing I think we need to keep in mind as we are building the foundations of this business is that what people are buying from us is primarily psychological and emotional. They are getting a feeling or a a something it's it's hard to describe when you look think about um your very favorite photograph that you have hanging up on the walls in your home or your very favorite painting and when you look at it it makes you feel some kind of way maybe it gives you a sense of peace maybe it's a sense of nostalgia maybe when you look at that work you feel a sense of accomplishment because you were able to afford um, an expensive piece from a fantastic artist. Maybe it reminds you of a home that you owned somewhere or a place that you visited. Maybe it is the memory of your baby being that age or a time in your life that you'll never get back. There are all of these different things that artwork gives to us. And that is primarily the thing that we are selling. When you look at that piece, maybe it just really... Um, as the dude would say, it ties the room together. Or maybe it just gives that emotional grounding connection to the place. Maybe it's your ability to remember your mom. There's a lot of things that we get from the artwork that we collect or that we have in our home, whether that is albums. And I will tell you, my kids love our photo albums. They will get those things. They will sit together on the couch. They will go through them. They will point at things and remember things. And it's really beautiful to watch that connection. That is what I'm buying when I purchase an album. I'm not buying the paper and the ink. And our clients aren't either. So I think that is the first thing we need to realize and keep in mind when it comes to asking ourselves, what am I going to sell? Well, first, you are meeting that psychological, emotional need. Once you figured that out, then you have to ask yourself, are you selling a physical or a digital product or a service? Are you selling paper, ink, a print, an album? Um, are you selling bags with your work printed on them? Are you selling clothing? What are you actually selling physically? And how is that going to be purchased and delivered? And eventually, and we'll get to this, how does the cost of that physical product affect your bottom line? What is your profit margin on that? So um, we're, and we're going to get into all of this because of course that ha this has to do with business models and some of the things that we've talked about so far, but just keeping in mind first that what you're doing is meeting a need and that need is generally not a physical one. Um, sometimes it will be, but almost always there is a psychological and emotional need that you're meeting. Second, we figure out what type of product then fills that need. Is that going to be digital products? Is that going to be physical ones? If it's going to be physical ones, what are the profit margins like and how do those physical products support the beating heart of our business, that philosophy of business that we've talked about so many times before. So 
before we start walking through that process, we're going to do that with our moderators this morning. We're going to ask, what do you guys do? So how have you gone through this process? How did you figure out what you are actually going to sell to your customers? Was there anything specific that you had in mind that said, okay, this is definitely the right thing. My customers want albums. I should be selling digitals. I'm going to sell stock photos. Um, because all of those things are going to be key components as we write our business plans. That is still coming up. Hang in there, guys. We're going to get there. But mods, what are your thoughts on how we figure out what we are going to sell? Hello, everyone. Uh, okay, Nicole, I guess we'll get right into it um, in terms of, of, of developing that product strategy, I guess. I, uh, like most of you know, and like some of us are, uh, I am a Subrise Education uh, uh, influenced photographer. And when I started uh, with her business model, I was convinced that the, the right thing to do for the brand that I want to create is to sell prints uh, in and in a folio box when I started about uh, four years ago. So I, I started my business with the idea that folio boxes, printed products, printed reveal is the right way to go, and that would be the only product I offer, but obviously give uh, complimentary digitals to go with those. And I did that for a couple of years, and relatively successfully because I, I kind of spoke to the guy, I always talk to the customer up front that that's my brand, that's what it is, um, and, and that's, you know, so that there is, there's no other option, but I never had a problem with it. What I realized as I went along is that as I started doing more and more boudoir photography, that folio boxes are not necessarily the, the, the only way. And I got into albums, which was very successful because albums for boudoir tend to be more intimate, more private and, and so on. But I still had an issue with the personal branding because that's the third type of, of uh, uh, photography that I do. And, you know, fundamentally, I knew that personal branding and, and, and business portraits and so on, people don't really need the prints. And, and so I had to find a way and, and to, to differentiate that while offering similar prices. I did not want to confuse the customer with different prices. So what I decided to do earlier this year is to keep my... Uh, printed product brand for uh, all my uh, for my sorry for my boudoir and my uh, maternity and, and, and portraits uh, regular portraits and then for personal branding I have a only digital offer which I enhance by giving other type of value for the same price so right now I have a mixture of, of products and uh, digitals and the only part that I'm really struggling with uh, is really internal is that profit margin you're talking about because fundamentally if I just deliver digitals it's costing me my time uh, only whereas if I deliver a product I'm buying an album I'm buying a, a folio box and so on so there's another I would say 15 to 20 percent of cost but I but I, I'm struggling with that because I, I've always told my clients my value the value of what I'm offering you is in the image itself and the container doesn't matter. I can't, can't find another word for the container, but how they're delivered doesn't really matter. So if you're paying so much for your for your for your images, whether you take them in a folio box, whether you have an album, whether you take digitals only, it's the same price. But internally, it's a lower profit margin uh, if it's the if it's if I have products. So that part I'm struggling with, and I keep saying, but it's worth it because that's my brand, and I'm. If anybody has any ideas or, or of how I can get over that part, uh, please help. So that's where I am kind of in a, in, a, in a quick and dirty way. I'd be really curious, Bassam. So when you were initially going through this process um, and, and you were, you know, learning the, the method that Sue Bryce was teaching at the time and using folio boxes and things like that, were you just kind of taking it on her authority that if you were going to build this type of business, that was the best product? Or did you go through any process yourself to kind of confirm um, if this is the brand that I want to have and the style of business I want to run, that this makes them? Well, I, I actually connected with, with that business model really fast. I mean, I, I saw the value of it. I understood it. I said, it's, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to fool around too much and try different things. 
so I, I took the fundamentals of what, the, what she teaches and I applied them and it, it worked relatively fast. Uh, knowing full well that, uh, you know, totally understanding the fact that I can adapt it to my way eventually and learn and so on. So one of the things I learned, uh, you know, relatively fast is by doing a printed reveal, I'm really limiting myself in terms of, uh, in two ways. I'm limiting myself in terms of how much I can sell because I can, you know, practically only print 20 to 30 images because they'd have to be relatively well retouched and so on. So there's a lot of time spent up front uh, retouching photos versus doing uh, retouching only photos that they buy. So I was so by by uh, switching over also to more of a uh, in-person digital reveal on a big on a large screen, now I can show 50, 60, 70 images depending on the shoot and have a better uh, better uh, chance of selling images. So it, so yeah, it it I got sold on the idea pretty fast because I I I saw the value in it. And I thought, uh, what is it? Uh, done is better than uh, perfect. So I just started right away. And by having that that uh, feedback that it works, the model works, clients see the value, it allowed me to experiment more easily. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think it there's absolutely some value in recognizing that sometimes just getting moving is the best thing that we can do because we can course correct while we're on our way. Um, and spending too much time agonizing over these decisions can stop us from moving forward. And I know we've talked about that before, about inertia often being the biggest hurdle we have to overcome is just starting. And hopefully this process, as we talk these things out, is really helping people solidify in their minds um, where they want to go. And if you guys are already in motion, how you can course correct to bring yourself back into a better alignment with the kind of business you want to run. And I think listening to you speak, Bassam, just reminded me of the fact that we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions here. And one of those things is, um, how do we choose products and services that do support our, our core brand mission, right? But then also, um, what kind of life do we want to live? And I know we've asked ourselves this question before, but there are some folks out there who will recognize from the get-go that they're incredibly uncomfortable selling in person. And clearly for, for that business model to have worked for you, um, that's not a thing that you struggled with to the point of not being able to comply, right? Um, where some people, just the idea of standing in front of somebody and asking for money, they may fall apart. And so knowing ourselves and knowing what we're capable of sounds like a really important first step to knowing what types of products and services we can sell. Because if I recognize trying to sell things to people is going to make me panic, but I can absolutely send people digital files or set up a system where people can buy digital files. And that obviously opens up a whole realm of possibilities for me. And I may instead consider things like stock photography or, um, you know, full digital galleries that people get or et cetera, et cetera, right? It, it becomes an entirely different process than it would be if I knew I could sit in front of people and I could sell and that personal connection was really big for me. So it sounds like number one, understanding ourselves is going to be a really big deal in figuring out what types of products and services we want to sell to fill the needs that we're recognizing for our client. And two, understanding how those goods and services really support the type of business model we want. Um, it sounds like those two things, I mean, at least that's what I really kind of got from you explaining yeah, I'm going to leave space for others to talk soon. I just want to say one more thing because there's another aspect of it. When we talk about choosing what you want to do versus, you know, you know what's profitable and what's not, what's not what's not profitable, what's the best way to make the most out of your business. I have a spreadsheet with uh, most of my shoots in it, and I go through a big analysis of, you know, how much they spent, how many pictures they bought, what's the price per picture, what's the profit per picture, what did I, you know, I, I, and I and I and it's clear to me that what you know the most money i make is on believe it or not quick headshots right because it's a little amount of work it's digital only and and the price is the same per picture as as or probably higher than if you buy a big package however right however i i get a heck of a lot more pleasure out of having a day with a client connecting with a client working with them you know having that 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 once in a lifetime experience with them and for them than scheduling four or five headshot sessions in one day when I know I can make more money scheduling four or five headshots in one day, but it's not really what I enjoy doing. So I make a choice of making less money per shoot or per day, but to do the thing I love to do. 
So th that comes into play when you want to decide you're talking about the lifestyle, but it's not just about the lifestyle. It's about what gives you joy and as, as you do this work. Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly include that in my thought. Like when I say, what kind of life do you want to live? I certainly include that in, you know, I'm not thinking just lifestyle there, but day to day, what do you want your life to look like? And, and experiencing being able to have those joy moments um, is, is, I mean, that's what everything is all about, is being able to love the life you're living every single day. So I, I absolutely agree with you there. And that's why I think it's so important for us to recognize who we are as people and what we know that we're capable of and what we're going to get joy from doing. Um, and for many folks, the idea of speaking in public is, is the most terrifying thing that they can contemplate. So probably jumping into in-person sales right off the bat, maybe not the best idea. But if you believe that that is where your brand is best served, then that might be the kind of thing that gets added to your um, your startup costs as bringing in somebody to do your sales. Maybe you have a dedicated salesperson. So, you know, this, this conversation around how we sell, what we sell is really important because it's going to define a lot of aspects of our business for the customer and for the actual process. And I think you're right when we look at things like those profit margins between um, those physical products versus digital products, we do have to ask ourselves that question of scalability. Is that something that's important? Do I know um, and have I discovered that I'm going to be the kind of soul of my business? I'm going to be that sole proprietor. I'm going to run this thing until it's done. And when it's done, it's going to disappear off the face of the earth. And so I am going to kind of maintain the central aspect of selling in person? Or do I want to make this scalable so that I can bring in associates, I can open up different locations, I don't need to be the heart of this business all the time. Um, people can take over these processes for me. And then all of a sudden, we can increase our client load and we can do those things so that maybe I just become kind of the, I get to photograph who I want and I become the kind of overseer of everything. And uh, I mean, th those are the questions we have to ask ourselves because of course, what flows from that, what we're able to give to our clients is going to be highly dependent on those answers. So uh, Matt and Becca, I'm dying to hear from you guys as well. How do you figure out what you are selling? My story really echoes the Psalms um, in so many ways, starting with the Sue Bryce model, going into folio boxes, all of that, and, and not having any idea of sales or retail prior to that. I was selling $5 digital downloads um, on the retail side. I was doing commercial stuff just fine, but um, on the retail, I had no idea what to do. So when I switched over to more of an in-person sales retail model, um, I just followed the Sue Bryce model straight out of the gate and only offered folio boxes and wall art. Now, what I found is that that's all well and good and it served me well, it kept me in business, made good money. However, I wasn't really listening to what the clients wanted. And that's where the shift started to happen for me. Rather than saying, this is what I'm going to, I hate saying push on you, but here's the products that I'm gonna serve you with. I started to look at what I was being asked for over and over, providing what I'm being asked for, which is predominantly just digital, and then also upselling to the printed products uh, the folio boxes, wall art, metal prints, wood prints, canvas, uh, albums, pushing into that um, by adding value of talking about the emotional connection that we were talking about earlier uh, at the beginning of the call, really making them understand that, yeah, digitals are great. Um, when was the last time you lost your phone or had a hard drive crash or whatnot? And it would be a shame if all of these were gone. And I started talking to them about why prints are important, not forcing them on them, but just saying, hey, when you walk into a room, there's got to be a picture of you on the wall somewhere that you feel great about. And that's why we're doing these now as well. And once you start to connect their emotion with the product, not in a salesy way, but just this is how it's going to enhance your life. I started to realize that a lot of the products that I offer, people just didn't care about. Um, but they did get the emotional connection from the theory of prints. So where I am here in New England, houses are small, not a ton of wall space. These are not McMansions. Um, so large wall art, 30 by 40, just is not a thing here. However, 
smaller prints in that 16 by 20, 16 by 24 range seem to go well because people can see that on their dining room wall or living room wall or bedroom wall. So it took me a while to get out of the mindset of these are the products I'm going to provide and people will love them or hate them. And instead started listening to the clients to say, what is it? What are the needs that they have? What needs to be filled there? Primarily it's digital. And then I can also carry the prints and like Basam was saying, at a higher profit margin uh, if I upsell to prints. But for me, it's all about connection. It's all about emotion, whether it's digital or prints. That's what I'm selling. I'm selling a, um, a product that is almost intangible. It's the ability to look at yourself in a different way. And so that's what my product is. The things that you get out of that are just enhancements. That sounds a little bit trite and cliche, but I mean, it's, it's really what I believe. I don't think it sounds trite at all. I think, I think you exactly hit the nail on the head on how we opened this conversation, understanding that what we are selling is not primarily a physical product. A physical product represents what we're selling, but what we're really selling is meeting an emotional need. And so taking that emotional need and connecting it to the product makes a whole lot of sense um, from a psychological point of view in order to help your customers connect with what you, you believe is really going to serve them best. And I think you made a fantastic point there that everyone should consider, which is, you know, you can either choose a couple products and say, this is all it's going to be because this is what I value. And what that means is now you have to do the work of finding either finding the people who value that along with you which is all in the marketing and studying the statistics and all that kind of stuff and then putting your ad dollars in the right places and testing and all that good jazz it may take you a long time before you hit that nail on the head continually so that you never have to worry about whether or not your clients are going to want that product or you listen to your client and you make adjustments from there so you can provide them with what they're telling you they need. And then you don't have to necessarily change your outreach because you're obviously already reaching those people. So I think that's a really important thing to consider because your time, I mean, you can either spend time, money or assets, right? And so, and all of those things have equal value given the weight of them. And so, if you spend all of your time and your money trying to find the right clients who value wall art, especially in a market like yours, I mean, you could that could put you in financial trouble right there. So that's a really important consideration to make, I think. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know if you needed me to add anything else there. Yeah, I think, you know, in what I found is by talking to the customers, really understanding what their needs are. That changed the game for me. Um, and now I can really dictate what my profit margins look like and really hone in on the cost of goods. Because if I'm not selling, you know, 50 folio boxes a month, which I'm absolutely not. Um, if I'm not selling 50 folio boxes a month, then, you know, I have the opportunity to look around at different vendors and not get in too deep. I can, you know, keep playing with the offerings. I'm still offering a folio box, but at different price points, depending on the vendor that I use. And with that allows me to continually improve the business. I'm still offering quality products, but at a price point that makes me more money. So yeah, it's just all listening to the needs rather than um, just saying this is the only way or this is the only vendor that I can use or, or whatnot. I think it's, again, it's playing over and over and over with the model that you have and just continually optimizing it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you said two things there that I, I want to grab onto before I poke Becca a little bit. And one of those things is, you know, keeping in mind our profit margins. I think we do have to ask ourselves and make sure that we know in advance. And, and that's obviously a big part of the point of this conversation. But I think we do have to know in advance where we're heading there. Are, are, are we making short-term strategic decisions or are we looking long-term and saying, I know that eventually there's, I'm going to come to a place where I don't want to be involved in the day-to-day -day running of this business anymore. I want somebody else to handle those things. And so where do my profit margins have to be in order to support that long-term goal? Which when we asked ourselves at the beginning of this mastering the business of art um, 
when we asked ourselves, you know, what kind of business do we want to run? What, what do we see our lives looking like every day? And if we look at this in the long term, is this the kind of business where I know I'm going to want an exit strategy? I mean, we should be building those kind of into the, the bones of the business in any case, but we should know from the beginning, if I need to put myself in a place where I want to be able to walk away from this, still have the business run, still receive an income and have somebody else run it um, or sell it at some point, then what has to be built in as far as profits go in order to facilitate that? And you need to be able to have the kind of profit margin that is not just allowing your business to exist on a day-to-day basis, but is allowing it to grow and thrive and provide for things like contractors or associates or you know bringing in full-time people who can replace you in the things that you do whether that's outsourcing or actually hiring somebody into a physical location and knowing what those profit margins are so you can predict how much money you're going to make i mean all of that is a really big deal so people definitely need to be considering that when they're asking themselves what kind of business do i want to run is scalability going to be important for me or do i want to have a small mom and pop type of thing where i my fingers are in every part of this pie that's an important thing for us to know about ourselves and then also matt i think you know listening to you talk about you know the switch to digital and listening to your clients the thing i really take away from that is the fact that you making that change still supports the core tenet of your business which is connection right and if you were to ignore your clients and keep pushing these things on them it's not like you couldn't make money but you would be kind of fighting that that heart philosophy of your business which is to to build and facilitate that connection not only you know you with your clients but your clients with themselves so um I love the fact that you're able to make these adjustments to your product while still supporting that core business philosophy. And do you feel like making this decision is allowing you to serve them? Yeah, absolutely. It really does. Like this, the switch to digital, like in-person sales with digital for me is kind of like the pinnacle right now of service for me, being able to show uh, clients 70, 80, 100 photos per session totally changes the game in terms of sales numbers versus the printed reveals like I used to do, like Bassam did. So yeah, that switch to digital not only keeps up with the times and trends and what people are looking for, um, but it allows me to serve the same way and you know reduce my costs at the same time, which is kind of like the best part of business, being able to do that. So yeah, it was a, it was a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Okay, so we've heard from a couple of portrait photographers on how they were able to kind of get started with, in a way, a kind of a a tried and tested prepackaged business model. So we can start with having learned from somebody else and somebody who was successful, like Sue Bryce, where we can take the way that they've built their business and use that for ourselves and then be able to test it and find out, okay, how do I need to change these things to suit the kind of business I want to run? Um, And now we are going to hear from a couple of artists who sell things that are not portraits. So Becca and I both sell um, not only commissioned pieces of artwork, but other types of digital art and services. So I want to hear from you, Becca. What does this process look like for you? Are the products completely determined by, you know, your ability to deliver them or how do you go about figuring out what you're selling to people? Because obviously the needs that we are meeting as digital artists are not necessarily the same needs that we're meeting um, as portrait photographers. So how do you kind of figure this out? Yeah, so that real shift for me, because it's been a long meandering exploration of so many different kinds of art for me until I kind of found my home where I'm at now. was really looking at what I provide as service and not as product. I don't even really think that I sell product. Um, I I only sell service. So if we want to think of it in a a kind of more palatable uh, phrasing there would be maybe design services, because that is an absolute integral part to how I work. Um, And that covers everything. So if I'm doing a commission piece, it's still a design service. It's designing something for the client. If I'm working on practical props, uh, that is a design service for the client. If I'm working on a book cover, again, design service, it's not about the product. And the product is 
completely variable depending on the client. Uh, so that was like a big shift for me, not worrying about making prints, not worrying about, you know, having some sort of product catalog of this is only what I do, because that's not it. What I do is I sell ideas and I sell the people the ability to create their own ideas. So that um, took a while to get there, took a while to get there, but I got it and it's working. Uh, (laughs) And uh, so that's about where I'm at right now. Okay, beautiful. And so when you're looking at this as, you know, a service and somebody's coming to you specifically for a service, and so the product just kind of becomes an extension of that, um, does the, and and because this is all digital, right, um, or are you actually selling any physical products? Let me first ask that question. No, I'm not. And that is actually something that I should probably explore more. Like sometimes people want prints in my work people ask for them, like I should listen and probably put effort into that. Like, but I don't want to go through the more boutique process that you would say from a photography business. Uh, when it comes to printmaking, um, I would want something really on demand that I don't have to think about and is more passive. And I just haven't put the time into creating that option. Um, so maybe note to self that I need to go do that. But uh, no, I, I really don't sell physical product. I mean, even when working with like practical props and stuff like that, you know, um, it's, I, I don't, again, think of it as like, this is the product I'm going to bill you for these products. No, I'm billing for my time. And that time can be spent designing, that time can be spent in meetings, that time can be spent doing research, that time can be spent building something, that time can be spent painting, but it's not about the product. So no, in general, no product. Okay. Okay. And that's, and that's super important for us to recognize because it obviously changes the dynamic of the things that you offer because now you don't have a profit margin that exists between the physical product and what you're actually able to take home dispersed amongst all of the cost of doing business, right? Um, that changes things. And so not having that physical product, um, that, that means that you have to bill for your time. So one of the things that, um, that startup business kind of gurus will often talk about is that the physical product is almost a justification for the price. And so we have to get out of that mindset that it is the physical product that justifies the price because that's only very rarely true. Um, In rare circumstances, when we're talking really incredibly high-end pieces that have a justification for things like this wood only comes from a certain place and this artist only has two days of a month that they're able to work and this product is incredibly labor intensive and it takes four months to print this single piece of paper, et cetera, et cetera, right? There are times when the actual physical product will justify the, the, the cost, but those are very rare for most of us. Um, it is our time and our skill and our talent, our abilities that are the actual meat of why people are paying us the money that they're paying us. And so in order to make a sustainable business long term where you are stepping into the same shoes that Becca is wearing, where it is the design and the service that people are paying for and the product kind of becomes a secondary representation of that, then you have to bill enough that those hours are all being paid for and contributing toward the kind of life that you want to live. So um, how did you start to figure that part out, Becca? Because now not having cost of goods that you have to add to your cost of doing business, was there any kind of model that you used to say, okay, um, people are paying me for my ideas by the hour. So how did Lots and lots. Oh no, we just lost Becca. Becca, you're gone. All right, we'll wait for her to come back. I'm sure she will. I'm sure she will figure it out, figure out that she's not here anymore. Um, and in the meantime, I will. I, oh, there she is. Can you hear me? <laughs> Sorry, my, you are. I don't know what my clubhouse is doing. It keeps going in and out. Okay. Um, did you hear anything or was I talking to myself? I heard lots and lots. Lots and lots. Okay. Yeah. So it, the, the cost that you can charge for, um, like very luxury portraiture and photography is very, very different than the cost that you can charge for a lot of other kinds of art. Um, so if you're a portrait photographer, uh, keep that in mind if money is your big motivator there. Um, so a lot of it was just trying to find answers from other artists, which people can be very, um, 
private about. People don't like to talk about what their rates are. They don't like to talk about what they charge. It's, you know, taboo for some reason when really I think that's something we should talk about so we can, you know, empower each other and be charging the right rates. But anyway, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of digging, a lot of, you know, just trying to find those answers, which they're few and far between. And then of course, you know, that working backwards from what do I want to make in a year? Okay. What does that mean? What do I need to make in a month? What do I need to make in a week? What do I need to make in an hour? And then pricing myself accordingly from there. Um, there also were, um, one thing that I have been able to find as far as, uh, resources online go is you can actually find, um, kind of like standardized rates, like union rates for things like if you're interested in working in film. So those kind of things were very helpful. Um, also like illustrator guilds, places like that will also have those resources. So those were really helpful for developing that rate for myself to make sure I wasn't charging something outrageously high or outrageously low. Okay. Outstanding. That's fantastic resources. So um, making sure that you are looking at, if, if you are kind of within a similar market, making sure that you're looking at that market and then comparing that to what you need to be able to earn in order to thrive. And we'll say that instead of survive, because of course, many of us may start off in the survivor kind of mindset and space just so we can get moving, but we don't want to stay there, right? We want to be thriving. So making sure that we are building ourselves towards charging those prices that allow us to thrive. So, okay. That then from Becca's perspective is pretty outstanding. And from my perspective as an artist, there are a few things that I have to look at. One is, and I can speak on a few different areas here, so this this will be kind of interesting. One is that in a part of one of my businesses, I want to be able to scale. That's the most important thing for me. So when I look at this from the perspective of an author, I am creating a product that has a very long potential shelf life, um, and I want this as a scalable product, meaning I, it's, it's a relatively inexpensive product to buy because that's dictated by the market. So I don't get to decide that my, you know, 130,000 word book is going to cost $50. I don't get to do that because it just falls so far outside of any kind of norm for the market that nobody besides maybe one or two random crazy fans will ever buy that. So I have to choose um, those prices dependent upon the platforms that I'm on. So Amazon, gives you certain benefits if you price your product in a certain range, meaning they're more likely to recommend your product, they're more likely to boost your product, et cetera, et cetera. So I have to consider the market that I'm in. Second, I know that scalability is important to me for those books. I want as many people to buy them as possible. And by doing that, that product all of a sudden becomes, you know, once it's out in the world, I don't have to sell every individual book I just have to let people know that it exists. So that then becomes a scalable product for me. So in that realm, those are the things that I have to know in order to figure out the fact that, you know, I'm going to be selling these books. They're scalable. That's going to influence my, my decision making on what it costs and what the product is. Because if I have to sell, it used to be that you would have to buy books. Um, if you were going to, let's say, self-publish, you would have to go to a vanity press, buy a run of like 500 to 5,000 or something books. You had to store and ship all of those things yourself. So that's a really, really high cost for doing that kind of business. Now I have to ask myself, do I want to be able to print these things on demand when people buy them? Or do I just want to sell eBooks? There are some authors doing incredibly well purely by selling eBooks. They do not sell print. And so that influences their business model. So those are things that you have to consider up front. Do I want this to be scalable and bulk or do I want this to be um, boutique and really specialized? On the other side of my business, I have prints that I sell as, sell as part of their, it's, it's a retail thing. So those are in my store on my website, photographs that I've taken, fine art pieces that I've made. Folks are able to go and buy those. Those things also are aimed at a general audience and are meant to be consumed in bulk. They're not one of ones. They're not special prints. It's literally print on demand for people who want to put fantasy things in their home or in their space. It's made affordable for that purpose. It serves the reason that I want it to be there, which is I want people to be able to get those things in their home for a price that just about anybody could afford because everybody should be surrounded by fantastical things. So those things exist for that purpose. But when somebody comes to me to commission an art piece, then the prices change drastically because I am creating a unique thing specifically for that person that is designed with their input from the ground up. So in that case, which is similar to what Becca is doing, 
it's the design that they're getting from me. It's my time and my talent that they're buying from me. It's not necessarily the fact that they're getting a digital product, which in those cases they are, and they're free to print those if they like for whatever purpose they have, because I'm charging enough that I'm willing to let that stuff go. I don't need to be responsible for the prints afterward. In fact, I don't want to be, because by the time I'm done working with a client, um, I, I don't want them coming back to me for specialty prints or anything. I'm not interested in that process. That's not what I want my day-to-day -day life to look like. I don't want to be spending my time ordering specific things for people. That's not how I want to live my life. So I've removed that and chopped it off, and that's not part of my process. So if you are looking at wanting to make a living as an artist selling pieces that you make, then you have to ask yourself all of these same questions. Number one, do you want this to be scalable? Do you want to sell lots of art to lots of people so that they can get those things? If you do, then you have to ask yourself, how are they going to get these things? Is this going to be a digital thing that they buy from me and they can print? Is this going to be from a print store where people come and they purchase their prints from there and it's, it's print on demand and I have no part in that, which I do not for my retail prints. Folks just buy those and they go out the door. I just see that they bought them and I get the money. So that's, you know, that's the difference for me there. Um, is that how you want that business to run? That is the kind of thing that if you're marketing it correctly could potentially be making you money while you sleep because you don't have to be involved in the process anymore. But if you are the kind of artist who wants to sell individual fine art pieces, then that is obviously going to affect the way that you're able to live your life. I have friends in the fine art market and a good deal of their time is spent hobnobbing with collectors and finding collectors and speaking to them and explaining their process and the story behind their work. And so these pieces sell for ten, twenty thousand dollars a piece. And of course, they have to be very carefully printed. They have to be really specifically handled and framed by professionals. And those pieces get hand delivered and hung on the wall. And to, to those folks, that is an important part of what they're selling. It is that unique individual hand signed. It has a certificate of authenticity. It's, it's, you have the only one of these that exists. That is why paintings often cost so much money because they won't be reproduced. That one painting is the only one painting that will ever exist. So you are choosing then to make your money off of the limited availability of that product because it is a one of one. You get to choose what you are doing here and then ask yourself, okay, I know that I want to sell individual pieces for a high amount of money. What does that entail? And what will that make my life look like? And is that the kind of life I'm willing to live? And if it's not, then you've got some decisions to make, right? So at this point, I'm, I would love to encourage our friends in the audience, raise your hands if you have some thoughts on how you come to the answers. What products are you going to sell? How are you going to sell them? Because we'd love to kind of round this out. We've heard from some portrait photographers. We've heard from a couple of artists. Um, so let's have folks raise their hand. And then because we are already coming to the end of the hour, let's make sure we stay really succinct as, as we can and try to, uh, try to keep those things to a minimum. And remember here, we're looking for help as much as possible. Um, so if you have a question, we'll try to handle that really quickly, but questions, let's try to mostly keep those to the Facebook group. So we actually have a lot of time to answer them. Becca, go ahead. Um, just one thing, uh, that you sparked again for me uh, is licensing. Just that is something that is, is really um, heavily worked into my own business. And it, it, I deal with licensing with everything that I create for a client, but also separately when people want to license work I've already created. So that is another aspect that I don't really consider a product, but it's maybe more kind of in line with a product when I do sell individual licenses, but um, also greatly uh, impacts how things are priced in the Sorry, that's definitely important to look at um, and, and licensing. So just really quickly, you have a, a quite a few options if you are looking at making money off of the work that you create and not necessarily always commission work for other people, even though you still can sometimes do this with commission work, but you can sell portraits, you can sell stock, you have fine art, you have commercial, you have retail design. Um, so there, there are a lot of different areas where you can be making money as an artist. 
and looking at those areas and then also recognizing any piece that you've created for yourself can then be licensed. And if somebody, and, and when we say licensed, somebody might want that for a book cover or they might license that for their website or there's a lot of different ways that somebody can pay for usage and then that becomes another way that you can earn income. Um, but but making sure that if you're going to go down that ro- route, you speak to a lawyer because you want to have the kind of contracts in place that are going to say what somebody can use it for, how long they can use it, on what media they can use it. And if you want to get an idea for what that may potentially look at uh, look like, Getty has a great calculator that will at least give you the kind of broad um, ideas if somebody wants to license this for a blog post that they're going to use on their website that has 50,000 viewers a month that will give you an idea of what licensing costs may look like for that. So keep that in mind. All right. We have Larry with us. Hello, my friend. Excited to hear from you. How are you? Good to be here. Doing well, doing well. Glad to have you. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Well, uh, my are, are twofold. Um, I also license my artwork. And uh, that's that's something that in order to license artwork, you have to continually do artwork. I work with an agent and he has ex- uh, expectations of uh, timelines and when I can have to produce art and have it uh, ready for his clients to see. So, you know, I think it's important to be very systemized as an artist um, and have your systems in place. And for me, because I also, on, on the print side of things, I specialize in Christmas art. And that, for me, starts Christmas in July. Well, the marketing of that starts well in advance. But we have a very specific system of marketing um, to fill the, the dates that we're going to s- succinctly open up uh, as each one fills. Uh, so the, the sales and marketing side of it is very, very systematic uh, for the Christmas art because I need to do that for six months, and then the other six months I want to work on my portrait, uh, oil painting, and licensing. So everything's got a, a categorized spot within the, the year calendar. But getting into the, the second half of the year, for us for, and for me, the, the system I developed was really figuring out who, who is going to be the buyer of the art that I'm going to create, the Christmas art I'm going to create, which is Santa art. And once I figure out that buyer, then I create products that I know the buyer's those specific buyers will purchase for their home and that will have purpose and meaning for their family. Uh, then I can set up my system of uh, creating not too many products. I like to call it my three pillars so that it makes very easy purchase decisions. Uh, and yet those three pillars, once sold, will hit the target number that I'm, I need per session. Now I can break it down and I can say, I've got six months. How, many, how much do I want to make in that six months? I know what I'm going to sell per session. How many sessions do I want to do? And, and then I can put my system into place. And the other thing that's of, uh, of great importance to this is that once you have your system in place and you've got your pricing in place, you need to be very consistent with that. You, you, you can't stray from that. Because the minute that you stray, you, you don't know, you won't remember what you said to different people that you talked to. Everybody gets uh, walks into and, and experiences the same system, whether it's the sales, the marketing, the merchandising, the product, or the actual session itself, uh, and everything that works around it. Every, it becomes this this almost stampable thing. Um, and then once you're, I've done that that season, I, I've done that, and I can shift into my licensing and uh, fine art portrait seasons. And that's how I do my year. But I do break it down. Each one has a system. It's very, very clear. Each system is different because the products are different. Um, but each one has a very clear system of, from art to sale. I hope that helps. Uh, yeah, it does a lot, Larry. That's outstanding. And so what I would want to ask you about that process is um, if you do need to change your pricing, let's say, um, you know, there's a big bump or you have a, a lot of interested folks. And so you need to start weeding people out by adjusting pricing or whatever, if for whatever reason you need to adjust your pricing. Is that something you would only do then season by season once everything has gone and you recognize, OK, next season we probably need to charge more or how do you have- yeah, that's exactly right. I, I, I never change uh, 
you know, never never change horses in the middle of the stream. Um, so I do wait for the end of the season. And once that season is wrapped up, then I take a look back at everything. Um, usually pricing for me goes by, you know, how much. Um, it's two things, really two things. Sometimes you have a product uh, and a, that is an incredible product that a high-end marketplace wants, but you're priced too low for them to recognize it. And so, you know, the general mistake is that, well, I'll lower my prices further, and that just takes you further away from the market that you want to have with your client. So you, you've got to really establish what's the target audience and what will they spend, and then price your product accordingly. And the reason why that's important is you need to have um, no weak links in your system. You don't want to leave a confused client going, wait a minute, that looks, you know, this wonderful high-end artwork, beautiful system, they're, they're so well-spoken, and then all of a sudden you get to the price and it's really cheap. The client sits and goes, wait a minute, am I missing something here? Are, are they for real? Right. And so sometimes too cheap can hurt you. You got to price that early on and make sure that's right. Now, once you get into it and you get established and then you need to in increase your price, it's usually because there's too many people calling for the amount of sessions that you want to do. I don't like to say, well, I'll just take more business and, and drive myself into the grave. Uh, that, that doesn't do, do anybody any good. So at that point, you have to increase your prices and let some of the people graciously not book you. If they really like your work, they're going to come back and they're going to, they're still going to book you for another time. But um, yeah, at the end of the season is when I look back and I say, okay, let's take a look at our year and then let's make our new price list going forward. Beautiful. That was exactly what I was thinking that you were going to say. Um, and, and I would agree. And we've talked a lot about systematization in the past, and um, that's definitely something that we'll we'll talk about again in the future because I think it's so important. But but specifically looking at this conversation, I'm really glad that you brought it up, and I hope folks latch onto that. Um, Jean, we're going to get to you, and then Carol, and then Cicela. So, what are your thoughts on? Good morning. Since I'm a travel snob, first I just want to say greetings from warm and tropical Cali, Colombia, and in shorts, and it's going to be a great Christmas. Um, I wanted to just share two quick things. Uh, I started out as a fine art photographer. Uh, I was working full-time in the government, so fine art was something that I was able to do as I traveled, and I uh, got out of fine art because I realized once I needed to start making my living with photography, it was extremely difficult unless you're famous or much better at photography than I was uh, to make a living with fine art photography. So I, um, I then got into portraits. Now I may be going back to fine art photography for a variety of reasons that I'm keeping close to the chest, but what I wanted to share was some of the experience that I had with the, the print side of fine art. Um, I initially went to, uh, and I, if this isn't, I hope this is still a no judgment zone, but I initially went to um, probably one of the highest uh, costing and, uh, and not the best platforms to sell my stuff uh, called Fine Art America. And I very quickly got turned off because they took such a large portion of the profit and it didn't seem worth it to me. So then I went out and I bought the big, you know, wide format uh, 17 inch Epson printer which I absolutely love. Um, but unless you're printing enough volume, I found myself, you know, there's 12 ink cartridges for that thing. And it's a, uh, it's a hundred dollars for each ink cartridge. So it's, um, you know, you find yourself um, spending more money in ink, trying to keep your ink jets wet than, uh, than printing. So, you know, eventually what I, what I realized with fine art America is that, it is, to Becca's point, it, it is extremely valuable to be able to have a, a print-on-demand type um, experience where you can focus on the art, focus on creating what you want to create, and then put it out there for the world to look at and decide whether they want to buy it or not. Now, I could probably do a better job marketing my gallery on Fine Art America. I, I, I think I maybe uh, say one or two things a year about it. Otherwise, people just kind of find it. Um, I do make sales on there. I always have. I have some images that have made, you know, four or five thousand uh, dollars 
just on that one image uh, over the time that I've been on that platform. Um, I also sell my stuff on Shutterstock, and that gets a bad rap because you don't make any money quickly. I've made some decent sales on Shutterstock, but of course, most of what I sell on Shutterstock is, you know, 25 cents here and there. It's, um, they're not like fine art pieces. They're not photographs that I spend a lot of time on. And it's usually just something that I have there that I have other places, but I just put it there because, you know, why not? And, but what I like about um, Shutterstock is I get a lot of feedback and analytics from Shutterstock that show me um, what people are interested in, what people click on, what people like. And I've tried to always make a habit of shooting more of that. And so it's a, it's a way for me to, to it's a, it, it's a cost free. I don't have to pay for the analytics. I, I'm actually getting paid. It's not that much, but I get paid to see what people are buying, what they, what people are liking. So that's why I like the, the Shutterstock platform. So what I wanted to just, I just wanted to offer those two experiences. Um, I'm still on Fight on America. I still have my printer. I don't use my printer. I, I, I'm, I'm waiting to figure out whether I'm going to be, whether I have to go back to fine art or not, because I may still keep it. But I, I, at one point recently, wanted to get rid of it and focus solely on fine art. Getting the emails every. Did we just? Yeah, I just, I, I got a call and then I, I ignored it. Um, I just, you know, I like the idea of getting the emails, you know, every couple of weeks saying, hey, you just sold a print. Here's your profit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so what I, what I wanted to ask if maybe in the Facebook group um, later on, if anybody had any ideas of uh, better platforms than Fine Art America where you could sell your stuff print on demand, um, I think it would, uh, I would really love to know what other people recommend. And I think it would also help Becca because Becca, wants to, uh, uh, said she wanted to explore that a little bit too. It's been a, it was always a game changer for me. I love just the print on demand aspect. So that's, that's what I have. I don't know if I, I want to, but I should. Um, but yeah, I can, I can go drop some links too. Um, I would recommend just offhand, um, if people are interested in that society six and uh, threadless are really, really easy to set up. Um, particularly society six is more art based. Um, but, Tossing those out there. Well, yeah, if anyone else has any ideas, let's uh, definitely swap a reason. Yep, awesome. Um, let's grab a, a link to the Facebook group for that so folks can be able to do that there because we're already pushing our hour. So I want to make sure um, Carol and Sisla both have a chance to share their thoughts. We'd love to hear from you both. Quick question. Um, is there an art equivalent to Sue Bryce for uh, fine art? as far as a model to follow? Not that I know of. Um, and the reason for that is most artists are doing really individual things. Um, there isn't necessarily a standard, a standardized approach to selling art. Um, there are several different, I would say, categories of models, and I'll definitely talk about that in the Facebook group as well. But um, I mentioned a couple of them myself. I mentioned the retail sector, and that is where you are taking your work and you are selling it in bulk to folks who want it. So maybe you have a print store where people can buy, um, you know, prints of different sizes of certain types of your work. Maybe you have very specific products that you sell, um, like bathing suits or handbags or whatever it is, and folks can get your work that way you have the opportunity to do commissions and one of a kind things for specific people who reach out to you for those things. You have the ability to create for um, other companies. So you can become an artist who's licensed to create for other companies and then they pay you for your work. And that often becomes something like um, work for hire. Um, you have the opportunity to do multiple things within your own business. So you can have some work that is fine art and some work that is retail. Um, but you really do have to begin by asking yourself, what do I want my life to look like? How involved in the process do I want to be? You can be the crazy hermit artist in the woods. Um, I have one of these in my family who people will just come from everywhere to, to show up on your door and buy the paintings that you have. Um, but of course, that requires an entire marketing strategy to reach out to folks to let them know that you exist so they can find you and come and buy your work. Um, and then, or you could be, there are several artists that I follow online um, that I, um, I've mentioned Chris Reiniak before. He draws and sculpts monsters and they're so flipping cute and they just touch my soul. So every time I see one, I want to get it. And he will um, basically release 
in season. So he will, he will create a few things and he will keep an email list and let everybody know. So he posts the work on his Instagram page and all of us are crazy fans follow it. And then he will let everybody know, okay, we're about to release these resin figures on this date. Everybody gets ready. And then we go absolutely crazy. And those sell out within seconds. And when I say seconds, I mean seconds. I still have not been able to get my hands on a piece because by the time I'm hitting the buy button, they're gone already. So you have several different options that you can use to run these things. You just have to decide what you want that process to look like for you. Um, and we can talk about that more in the Facebook group. Um, oh, um, uh, do you know, you might know better, um, but uh, our mutual friend, Jason Matthias, runs a class uh, called The Art of Selling Art. Yes. Um, I haven't personally done his courses um but i know him and he's rad and he makes a great living as a fine artist um so that might be something yeah and i can absolutely link that um in our facebook group as well the art of selling art or tasa on facebook it is a private group so you do have to get accepted in order to join but he's a fantastic person to learn from if fine art is particularly where you want to go being able to find creators understand how to work art shows all that kind of stuff so we will link that in the facebook group as well Cicely Hi there. Uh, I will keep this as humanly short, short as possible because uh, I know we're running out of time. So as a portrait photographer, one of the biggest things I asked myself was, what do I like to sell? I don't particularly like to sell wall art, so I don't sell wall art. I sell mainly albums and boxes with matted prints as well as digitals. And the digital part is a fairly new thing because just like Matt, I had to ask myself, what is it that my clients are actually asking of me? I don't like um, pushing people in a way in, in a direction they don't necessarily need. And I found that I've had clients that just left their prints behind. Um, so now I also offer prints and I'm still working out the, the nitty gritty of that part. But I think the really important question you have to ask yourself is what do you like to sell? What do you like? What do, what are you passionate about? Because that passion is going to show through. Initially I sold a lot of heirloom boxes because I was very passionate about them, but then I discovered albums. I love them to pieces. And now I can speak incredibly passionate about my albums and they're absolutely freaking gorgeous. Um, so for me, I sell more of that now simply due to the fact that I am more passionate about my album. So ask yourself, what do you want to sell? What do you like to sell? And what do, does your clients ask of you? What do they actually want? Listen to them and try to let go of your ego a little bit because that's really important. It's ultimately in portrait photography about your clients and make it, being passionate about it is what's going to help you sell it. Brilliant. That is a fantastic way to end this conversation and bring everything together. So as we talk about mastering the business of art and building these businesses, beginning with our philosophy of business, asking ourselves what type of business we want to run, what kind of legal entity is it going to be? How is the business going to run? Who are our clients? Where do we find them? And then right now talking about what are we going to sell? So to tie everything in a neat little bow, first remember that what you're selling is primarily emotional and psychological. You are meeting a need for somebody when they see that work, it is going to strike feelings in them. And that is either going to be um, things like nostalgia or, um, or joy or connection or whatever it is. When they see that work, a sense of peace, a, a memory of a place that they loved, all of those things. They're going to see that piece and it's going to connect with them that way. Remember that first you are meeting that need and then the physical product or the digital product or the service becomes a representation of meeting that need. And then you need to ask yourself what you want your day-to-day -day life to look like. And as Cicela said, what are you passionate about? If you are getting into business, if your philosophy of business is in order to preserve and create memories for people, then the products that you choose should hold that up. It should put that on a pedestal. It should be um, the support for that idea. So looking at products, ask yourself what you love, what you're passionate about, how you want to serve people, and then start looking at what types of things exist in that space, whether that is stock 
or fine art, whether that is commercial or retail photography or art, whether that is portraits or commission work or design work. You have a lot of different things that you can provide for folks in order to fill that need. What do you want your day-to-day -day life to look like? And then in the long term, is this the kind of mom and pop type, it's all about you thing? Um, fine artists are, are in this boat, um, whether they want to be or not, because the creation of the work is completely upon them. They may have kind of satellite people who, who facilitate that for them, agents and galleries and things like that, um, printers, folks who help them be in business. But once that artist stops working, the business no longer exists unless you have built it into the kind of thing that is licensable in the long term. Um, but so fine artists are, are in this category because they are the heart and soul of the business and without them, the business no longer exists. Is that the kind of thing that you want to run or do you want this to become something that is scalable in the long term, something that somebody can run and you can step away from? Maybe all you do is provide ideas and provide pieces and general oversight, but somebody else handles the day-to-day -day and you just earn income off of that. Knowing those things is going to help you figure out where your profit margins need to be and what you need to sell in order to facilitate that in the long term. So there's a lot to think about with this. It is a big conversation, but hopefully what we talked about today will help kind of set people on that path. Let's continue this conversation in the Facebook group because I know everybody has a lot of questions still, particularly those of us who do not run traditional portrait photography businesses, which is the kind of majority of us here um, do that type of work. So for those of us who don't, um, let's make sure that we share those resources. And then for everybody else in the audience, if you have ideas, if you have you know specific things that you do to sell your products, to get to the place where you understand what kind of products you wanna sell um, and why, let's continue that conversation there and share resources so we can continue to grow. Thank you so much to everybody who was here today, who shared their thoughts and questions and insights. Hopefully this was really helpful, particularly if you're first getting off the ground with your business. But even if you're already up and running, we're about to end the year. So this is the perfect time to make those adjustments so that you'll be ready for the year ahead. All right, everyone, have a fantastic day. Hopefully we will see you bright and early tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time at 6 a.m. for the West Coast and 9 a.m. for the East Coast. In the meantime, go make something amazing and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at The Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.